Don't you love that? I'm going to kind of miss it. It reminds me of my mother because uh, my mom has a love of all things clean. She's not a neat freak or anything, but she, she has this basic life philosophy that clean is better than mess. And this is where we disagreed all growing up when I was growing up, but because... I, I have ADD, which in my case stands for absent-minded, distracted, and disorganized. And uh, so my mind is cluttered, and so I feel comfortable in cluttered spaces. My, my car, you know, bears this out. I really believe that since nobody ever rides with me, my passenger floorboard is really more like a trash can. Why not, right? You put stuff there, you don't know what to do with it. And, uh, you know, my night table next to my uh, bed is always just heaped with with stuff and mess, and, and my mom would, would try to gently help me out of this, you know? God sent me to her as a child with ADD to teach her how to pray. She already knew how to pray, but he's like, I'm going to really teach you how to pray. I'm going to send you a kid with ADD. And uh, she would say things to me. She, she, would, she would try to show me, you know? There, there would be something that was messy, and she would clean it up, and she would say, now, isn't this nicer? And I'd go... Yeah, I guess, uh, whatever, that looks fine to me, you know. It's the same thing now, I'm, I'm, it's, my wife now has, has picked up the baton. My, my night table, as I said, is just a disaster. I was on a, a week-long trip uh, a few weeks ago to California, and she sends me a picture because she, she did what, this huge favor for me and organized it all, everything. All of my research and papers I was going through, she filed and made them all nice, stacked everything up nice, cleaned it all and sent me a picture, you know. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's great. Actually, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I have the ability to appreciate clean, but I, you know, I guess I've just always kind of been used to being messy. And I remember when I was, the, the, the reason I'm going here is when this Come Clean title reminded me, when I was about six years old, I think my mom was starting to realize it was never going to really sink in. And uh, she, she kept telling me, Jonathan, you got to clean your room. You got you to clean your room. It's really, it's, it's really a mess. And, um, she, and she would ask those questions that parents ask that have no good answers. I, I really wondered if it was just them, but now that I'm a parent, I get that we all ask these questions. She would walk in and she would say, will you look at this mess? There's no good answer to that. All right, I'm looking at it. Yes, I will look at it. I am looking at the mess. And, well, how do you live like this? There's also no good answer to that question. So I'm... I do have a pulse, I think I'm doing all right, you know? And she said, listen, you, you know, I, here's the, and, and by the way, just so that we're clear, um, I, I, the, the only reason we even had this tension in the relationship is we just have different philosophies of cleaning, right? Because I believe that if out of sight, out of mind is a principle of the universe, God must have made it, therefore it must be good. I'm going to find dark corners in my room and I'm going to put stuff there so long as I don't have to see it, it's clean, right? So I would put stuff under the bed, in the corners of the closet, in behind air conditioner vents, wherever, wherever there wasn't light, I would, I would put stuff and my mom, you know, bless her heart, she just didn't see it the same way. And she said, look, here's the deal. I've given you tons and tons of chances to clean it. You haven't gotten it clean. Now I'm gonna clean it. And I thought, uh-oh. Because my mother's cleaning method involves a trash bag. You know what I mean? And so I got banished from my room for, you know, three and a half hours. My mom goes in with the, um, with the gas mask and the rubber gloves to go in and deal with the chaos, you know. And, and she brings me back in three and a half hours later, and everything's sparkling. It smells good. My mom's like, that's the power of pine saw, you know. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, so... I, and, and, and she said, what do you think? And I said, I, I, it's, it's really nice. I haven't seen my room like this. 
there's the, you know, I've not seen the floor in a long time. It's a very nice floor. And, uh, and she, she said those five words that ruined the whole experience for me. You know what those five words are. You know what parents say when they do something like that. Five words are now keep it this way. Show of hands, how many people do you think that I kept it that way? <laughs> at six, at six years old, I knew it wasn't going to happen. You know why I knew why it wasn't going to happen? Because you can address the mess in the room, but if you don't deal with the mess maker, you're going to have another mess real quick. At six, I realized that the problem in my room was not the mess. The problem in my room was the mess maker. And so when we're talking about God's invitation to come clean, which is what this whole series has been about, we're talking about a very special offer. There aren't a lot of offers like this in life because if you go and you look at the self-help you know, section of the bookstore, there's a lot of resources out there to try to help you deal with the mess. God is the only one who will offer you the opportunity to deal with the mess maker. And so we've been walking through some stories about, about this. And, and by the way, just, just to be honest with you, I, I do still have a lot of clutter in my life, physical clutter. I do have messes. I make, you know, like I said, my car is not clean right now. If you were to go see it in the parking lot, and that's, well, it's sad. But I'm way more concerned with the other messes I make in my life because I tend to make relational messes. I tend to sometimes make financial messes. Sometimes my health is a mess. Sometimes I just make bad decision messes. And I don't like that. And I don't want to stay there. And I don't want to keep living with that. And on top of all that, I also recognize that I live in a mess. You know, not only do I have to deal with the messes I create, I got to deal with the messes that other people around me create. And I also live in a country that's kind of in a mess right now, in a world that's kind of in a mess right now. So there's a lot of mess in my life. And so when I get the, when I get the understanding that God is calling me to come clean, I'm interested in that. And so we're going to talk about someone in the scripture that had an opportunity to come clean, but it was an, he was an unlikely candidate for it. And the reason that his story is so powerful is because he had such a huge passion to get away from the mess, and then he changed the world. And I just want to talk to you in this room. If you're here, this is, this is one of those few messages at New Spring that has a very specific bandwidth. If you're in this room this morning and you're saying, I just have some mess in my life, and right now, I'm very open-minded. I'm just passionate about getting away from the mess. I'm passionate about getting to a better place. I'm passionate about moving forward in my life. This like entire message is specifically for you. Everybody else can listen in, but this message is for you. And I want to talk to you about a story of a man in Acts named Cornelius. If you've got your Bible or your electronic reading device out, we're going to be in Acts 10 uh, this morning. Starting in verse 1, look at this. It says, in Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man. Now that's important, we'll come back to it in a second. As was everyone in his household, he gave generously to the poor, also very important here in a second, and he prayed regularly to God. Okay, this Cornelius fellow. We don't get a full bio on him. We know he was a Roman officer. And depending on what that word means, because it could be translated one of two ways, 
this guy was either in charge of 100 fighting men or he was in charge of 600 fighting men. Very likely these were elite archers that had been, um, that had been brought from Italy like a professional team of archers to come and, uh, and be frontliners for the Roman army. So he was a very important person. One of the things the historians tell us was that to hold his position, you had to be considered a person of wisdom, a person with a, with a long fuse, and a person who was able to plan strategically. So this was a... Cornelius would have been respected by a lot of people. But here's the other thing we know. We know that Cornelius would have stuck out like a sore thumb among his peers. Because Rome was a place where you didn't just worship one god. You worshiped a lot of gods. Rome had more gods than they could count. And that's not an exaggeration. Historians tell us they couldn't keep count. And there were all sorts of worship practices and the rules were all kinds of just fuzzy on that. Nobody really knew... It was just, everybody just kind of did what they thought was the right thing, and they were, it was a very haphazard way of, of worshiping God. By the way, if you ever wonder why sometimes cultures start to have a whole lot of gods, there's a very simple reason for it. It's that if they were to take any one of those gods, they would not be able to hold that god accountable because it's not a real god. That god doesn't do anything, and so what they do is they take the, the approach of having a whole bunch, and they hope somewhere they'll hit it. If I pray to all these gods, hopefully one of them will come online. The reason, why do we only serve one God? We serve one God because we serve a real living God and he is accountable and he cares about our future. And so we don't need, uh, first of all, there, there aren't a whole bunch of gods, but even if there were, we wouldn't need them because we have a God who's accountable to us. That's another, another thing for another day. But Cornelius' contemporaries would have worshipped tons of gods. And on, t- and on, on top of that, um, their, their attitude would have been very much the attitude of, of, of his culture. The, the idea was to get educated. The idea was to become sophisticated. The idea was to cogitate and think about, and think about life and, and philosophize. People at his social status, that would have been what they were occupied with. And instead, Cornelius was out working in soup kitchens and, and donating to, to charities and, and trying to make a difference in the world, that would have looked a little bit different. He had somehow started worshiping this God that the Jewish people worshiped. And that made no sense because the Romans had conquered the Jewish people. The Jewish people were, that, the Roman people occupied their territory. They were they were over the Jewish people. And so why on earth would someone who was a captain of the, of the Roman army go find this Jewish God and be worshiping him and be praying three times a day to this God? It makes no sense. He would have stuck out like a sore thumb. Here's what I want to tell you, though. The story that we're going to look at is all about the fact that when Cornelius chose to follow God, God was incredibly intent on helping him understand exactly what that meant. And that's why it's so important to me to kind of let you know that on the front side because this is the story that we see every week at New Spring. Some, some, somebody would be here who's sitting here who would say, you know what, Jonathan, I, I, re- I relate to what you're saying because in my life I kind of do stick out like a sore thumb. I'm not, a, I'm not part of a Christian family. I'm not part of, I didn't, I didn't grow up going to Sunday school. I don't know all the church speak and all of that. I mean, I've definitely found... God, and I've connected to God here at New Spring, but in my life, in my world, where I'm at, I do really stick out like a sore thumb. Here's, here's what I want to tell you. I want to show you from the scriptures today that God is reaching out to you. 
You may stick out like a sore thumb in your life, but that just means you've painted a big sign on yourself that says, here I am, God, I want you to come and, I want you to come and be with me, and I want you to connect with me, and God is not gonna ignore that. He's gonna come to you. Let me show you how this happens in this story. This is in Acts chapter 10, verse three. The Bible says about three o'clock, Cornelius was praying, and he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Now, this is interesting, and I'm not gonna go into it a whole lot, but I don't know when Cornelius bumped into Jehovah God. I don't know when he came into contact with someone who was a, a person of Jewish faith. I, maybe he heard, maybe he heard the story of of the ministry of Jesus, but he just didn't know yet enough exactly what that was about. I don't know where the connection happened because he just pops up out of nowhere in Acts 10. As far as we can tell, there's no way to draw a straight line between God and Cornelius. Now, if he'd grown up in a Jewish family, then that would have made plenty of sense. You could have said, well, you know, the Jewish people, uh, God decided to send his son into that nation and into that, into that family and into that group. And so, you know, there was Moses and and uh, uh, and getting God's people out of Egypt, and then that story was passed down, and the, the, the rules and the traditions of the Jewish people were, were passed down, so it had been very difficult to grow up in that people group and not hear about Jehovah God. You could draw a straight line from God to each one of those individuals, but you, how do you do that? How do you draw a straight line from God to Cornelius? You can't. And yet all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is praying at three o'clock. It's very important that the Bible tells us he's praying at three o'clock. Why? Because it tells you how sincere his heart was. Somehow he'd stumbled into this God of the Jewish people and something about it clicked. Maybe it was that he heard that, that this God was a loving father. Did you know that Christianity is the only major religion that sees God as a loving father? Maybe, that was, maybe it was that. Maybe it was that he heard that this was a God who was accountable, who said, I will bless my, my children if they do what, they, what I ask them to do, and they will have a bad future if they don't do what I ask them to do. Maybe it was just the conciseness of that that made sense to him. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, he envied it, and he, what he did is he watched the Jewish people, and he imitated what they did, right? So he saw them praying to God three times a day at certain times. You know what he did? He prayed to God three times a day at certain times. He saw them do it, and they're getting close to God. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to see if I can get close to God. So here he is. He's, he's praying, and all of a sudden, an angel of God comes to him, and he says, what is it? And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. Familiar name? Right? Peter is a disciple of one of Jesus' disciples, and right now he's the the first pastor of the early church. Remember, at this point, the church has grown huge. The thousands. Peter's a megachurch pastor. And this guy doesn't know him. It'd be like if God came to somebody in Oklahoma City and said, um, you know, send somebody to go get Mark Hoover. I've cleared his calendar for a day. Bring him back with you. He's gonna spend, spend a day with you, right? Who's Mark Hoover? I don't know who that guy is. Cornelius said, I don't, I, don't know who, I don't know who Peter is, but the God, God's angel said, go get him. And by the way, God does have to tell Peter as well that he has cleared a day on his schedule for this guy. You know, Peter is, is busy, he's important, he's Jewish, and going to talk to a Roman army captain is not something that would have been high on his priority list, but the scripture says that God has to prep him for it. In verse 19 of Acts 10, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, three men have come looking for you, get up, go downstairs, go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I've sent them. So Peter went down and said to the guys, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? And they said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by the Jews. So we do know whenever he did connect with the Jewish people, 
something about the kind of person that he was engendered respect. They respected him as a person. And then he said, a holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Then they arrive in Caesarea. Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. Now that's important. Somehow Cornelius stumbles over the true God. He doesn't know how to worship him. How do I worship the true God? I don't know. I'm going to see how these people worship them. They're getting close to God. I'm going to try to get close to God like they do. He starts to do what, what they do. And then all of a sudden, an angel of God shows up, and he says, go get this guy, Peter. And he, he immediately says, all right, go get this guy. And they go get him, and they bring him back. And what is happening when they're going to get Peter? Is he just sitting there doing nothing? No, he went and got everybody that he knew. He said, hey, I think something big's going to happen. I think God is doing something. I think I'm getting ready to really hear what this is all about, and I want you to hear it too. And he goes, he gets everybody who's related to him, and he gets his friends, and he gets anybody that he can talking to coming with him and 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 Peter says when Peter walks in all these people are there and he says why did you send for me Cornelius tells him the story again you know I was praying God sent an angel he told me to go get you here we are and then look at what he says when that when the angel he says when the angel told me to go get you he said I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come now look at this now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you you know, one of the biggest joys of my life is pastoring at New Spring because that is the attitude that I get to experience every week. You know, do you know how many pastors don't get to experience this? I mean, it's so rare to have a room full of people who come into this room and say, we're here. I brought my friends. I brought my coworker. I talked to this person at Starbucks. I don't know who they are. I told them they need to come to New Spring. They came with me, and we're, you know, and 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 uh, and I'm. This, these are the folks that I bumped into at the grocery store. They seem nice, you know. We told them that their kids would love Kids World, and so we're all here, and we're here just waiting what God has to waiting for what God has to say. Man, I mean, that just makes me so excited to get up in the morning and do what I do. So let me ask you a question. For a second, let's think about the mind of God. What is it about a Cornelius that makes you stop what you're doing and set this all up, right? I'm going to send an angel to this guy, and I'm going to tell him to go get Peter, but i got to go tell Peter what's going on, so I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to speak directly to Peter, and I'm going to tell Peter that he needs to go and he needs to give a message to these individuals. We'll talk here in a minute about the fact that that's, that's the short version. The long version is God had to really explain to Peter why he had to go because um, Peter might not have gone otherwise. How, how do you get to the top of God's task list? Somebody who wasn't, wasn't even a typical Christ follower. Somebody who doesn't even look like they really were a religious person to start with. How do you get to the, the top of God's task list? Well, let's go back to the book of John. If you've got your Bible with you, we're going to flip over to John 3 for just a minute. And I want to talk to you about what God's purpose is in this world anyway. And I think it'll be clear. Familiar verse. Let's start in John 3.16, okay? The Bible says this, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. Who was that? That was Jesus. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. Good news, right? But to save the world through him. If you ever wonder why, Jesus come to, why did Jesus come to earth? It was on a seek and rescue mission. Uh, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. As far as I'm concerned, that's, that's shouting ground anyhow. Just that enough 
um, is huge. The fact the Bible says if we believe in God, there's no condemnation headed, headed our way. And, uh, and he says, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And look at this. This is where we're going to focus right now. And the judgment is based on this fact, God's light. Very, 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 very important word. We're going to spend a lot of time there. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And the scripture says, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it because their sins would be exposed. Here's the thing. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden and it ushered in uh, brokenness and sin into this world, every human being that would ever be born on this planet were at the top of God's task list because he wanted to reconnect with the human race that had walked away from him. Every human being. If you're in this room, you're at the top of God's task list. That has never changed. You've always been at the top of God's task list. And because God is everywhere, and because God is all-powerful, he can do that. I can't have, there's no way I could have something that huge on my task list that everybody or everything would be on my task list, but God is big enough that every human being can be on the top of his task list. Here's the problem. In order to get humanity to reconnect with him, he had to send his son to die on the cross. Now, what does the scripture tell us about that? The Bible says that it was as though God was sending light into the world. Why light? Remember what I said I did whenever I wanted to clean my room quickly (laughs) before my parents came in and saw it? I would look for dark places, places I could put stuff, because if it was a dark place, hopefully it would be out of sight, and I, and I wouldn't have to deal with it. I could just, just stuff it in there. And what, what God is telling us in the scripture is that when he sent Jesus into the world, when Jesus came into the world as a light, there was a spirit in human beings that said, we would really rather be in the darkness because our room is a mess and we, and, and because the scripture says they would, their deeds would be exposed, their evil deeds would be exposed. Basically, we're saying we don't want the mess in our room to be in the light so that we would have to face it, we would have to deal with it. And see, the message of God has always been, I'm not calling you out into the light so that you will fix the mess. I'm calling you out into the light so that I can help fix the mess maker. Right? Can we just be honest? God already knows about your mess. Whether it's in the dark, whether it's in the light, makes no difference. God knows about your mess. He's not calling you out into the light because he's going to expect you to do something beyond your capability. He's calling you into the light because he knows what his capabilities are. The sadness is that when a person says, I would rather be in the dark than the light, and you know what this is? This is blackmail. Is what it is. Something that a person feels like, I do not want it out in the light. They keep writing the blackmail checks. I'm talking to a guy somewhere in this room who's addicted to porn. Maybe you're the only one who knows. And every month you write the blackmail checks because to bring it out into the light, that would be too difficult. So it keeps you in the dark. The truth is, when the scripture says we love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil, it's, it's a practical love. The truth is that we're showing that we love the dark because we're staying there. But do we love being in the dark? No, we don't love being in the dark. Why? Because the dark is dangerous. If all of my hidden junk is in the dark, 
Guess what? You wonder where everybody else's hidden junk is? It's there too. And they, their, their dark stuff may be more dangerous than my dark stuff. Who knows? And I got to be there with it. Some of you know this. You've gotten into a situation where you, you had a friend and they were kind of into some dark stuff. And before you knew it, you found yourself in a place and you were like, wow, this is way darker than I ever would have gone on my own. Do you know why? It's because you get into the dark with other people's junk and it's more dangerous than your junk, but you're still in that danger. So let's talk for a minute about why the light is important. And then we're going to talk briefly as we close as why this is important in terms of Cornelius. Why is the light important? Why does God use the term light for himself? And which, by the way, I did a quick search in, uh, in the scripture for places where God calls himself the light. There were so many scriptures. I could have probably filled our entire time this morning just reading those scriptures. They're, they're, they're everywhere. Why does God work so hard to call himself the light? Remember, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Why? Well, there's a couple things about light that distinguish it. One is, if you move toward the light, you get more light, right? So you're in a dark, say, say you come into a, this room uh, during the week. There's no windows in this room. All the, uh, we've set it up so that we can really control the lighting in here. So during the week, when you, if you come in here and there's no lights on, it is very, very dark. And you come in here and say there's just one of these lights that you see turned on. You know, and I know, that the closer you walk to that light, the brighter the light gets. True? Right? As a matter of fact, if you're a physics person in this room, you know that there's an, a law called the inverse square law. It just basically means that for every step you take toward the light, it becomes exponentially brighter. And I think that's one of the things that God wants us to understand. For every step we take toward his light, it gets exponentially brighter. James 4 uh, verses, uh, verse 8 says, if we come close to God, God will come close to us. Here's another thing. And, and this, this one is hugely important. Whenever light challenges darkness, light always wins. Right? Light always wins. You don't, you don't walk into a room that's too bright and say, we got to get some dark in here. Right? But you do walk into a dark room and say, we need to turn on some lights. Right? Why? Because whenever light challenges darkness, light always wins. Check this verse out. Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 5, the scripture says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Some of us are so scared about a presidential election that's coming up. We're so scared about the way our country's going. Uh, we're so stressed out about other stuff. And we look at our news feed and we read blog posts and comment threads. And we're slipping into an accidental obsession into stuff that's just dragging us down. And I think it's just important for us to take a pause and say that the scripture tells us that whenever light encounters darkness, light eventually always wins. At some point we have to say, what, what does the scripture say? God says, I want you to be in the light as I am in the light. Why? Because light always wins. So when we find ourselves getting anxious and discouraged about the way the country's going, we need to shut the, shut the iPad, shut the phone, turn the computer off, and we need to say, God, help me remember where the light is because that's where I'm getting off track. Help me get back in the light so that I know that when light meets darkness, light always wins. All right, uh, let's move on to the next thing. Oh, and I love this one. Light always announces its location, right? Same scenario. You walk into this room, it's dark. One of these lights is on. You know this. You know if you walk towards the light enough, eventually you will arrive at that place where that light is, right? Fair? Light always announces its location. If you move toward the, the beam of light, you will eventually find the point that it marks. So 
this is, this is when it became important to me. This idea was a few weeks ago when I was at this conference and there were some, some well-known psychologists there and I overheard one of them talking to another person about social media and checking in. You know, you know about checking in, right? You go someplace and you, you check in. GPS tells the world that you're there. And uh, he said, I don't do that. I don't check in places. Um, and again, we're talking about a pretty famous person that's pretty well known nationally. And he said, because if you do that, it is like announcing your location to the world. And he said, you know what happens when you announce your location? It is like, uh, <clears throat> it's like an invitation to anyone for an informal meeting. He said, you know, you're sitting there at Cheesecake Factory and you check in and the next thing you know, five people popping up. Hey, how's it going? And you think, it's my fault. I announced my location. It's an invitation to anybody for an informal meeting. Here's the thing. When God says he's the light, what he's saying is, I am announcing my location and it is an invitation to anyone for an informal meeting. He's saying, you don't have to be something that you're not. You just follow the light and you will find me. And we will, what does the scripture say? Come now and let us, let us reason together. Let us work on this. It doesn't have to be a formal appointment. Come talk to me and we'll work this out. Here's the last one. <clears throat> Wherever the light is, darkness isn't. True? If you ever get to the exact point of the light, think about a light bulb in your home. If you get right up next to that light bulb, there's one thing that's very true about that spot. There isn't any darkness there. Wherever the light is, darkness isn't. In Scripture, um, and tech team, I'm going to skip right to 1 John 1, 5. It says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. I'm talking to somebody who's just so tired of the mess. And you're saying, I just don't want the mess anymore. And God is saying, listen, that's why I've been calling to you. That's why I've been sending you light is because in me there's light. There isn't any darkness. The thing that you're sick of and that you're tired of, that's not, that's not in me. That's why I'm calling you to me for an informal meeting. Come on, I want us to get together because what it is that you're frustrated with, I, 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 that's not what I'm calling you to. I'm not calling you to that life. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, we told you that this series would be about a, a seeker, a religious guy and, and a nice guy. Cornelius is kind of what we would think of as being the nice guy because if he was your neighbor, he'd be the sort of person that you would you know, ask to mow your lawn while you were on vacation or you'd leave him a key and you know, say, if our basement floods, the house starts floating away, you can go over there and take care of stuff, whatever. you know. But you would trust him because he's a nice guy. Here's the thing. I think if you were to ask Cornelius, he'd say, I, I appreciate you thinking that, but it's not just my personality. My personality is not that I'm just a nice person. I'm just so tired of the messes. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm conciliatory. Maybe I'm easy to get along with, but the reason I'm easy to get along with is I'm so tired of the mess of the fights and the conflict and the junk that happens when people choose not to be. Yes, maybe, maybe I've worked very hard to be financially stable so that I can give, but I'm, just, I'm that way not because that's just natural for me. It's because I got so tired of the mess of what happens when you don't do that. And yes, maybe I'm kind and gracious to people, but you know what? I live in a world where people aren't, and I just get so tired of the mess of what it's like when people are not kind and gracious to people. No, it's not that I'm just naturally that way. I'm just so tired of the mess. And here's what happens. When a person says, I'm tired of the mess, and I don't love the darkness, and nothing is going to blackmail me and keep me there, and God sends a beam of light, wherever you happen to be, whether you would have been someone who'd grown up at this time in the Jewish culture and you would have already known everything about God, it doesn't matter. If you say, I'm tired of the darkness and I'm looking for something else, God would send you a ray of light. It doesn't matter if you're a Roman officer completely off of the grid 
someone who doesn't even have a straight line that you can point to from God to, to you, it doesn't matter. If you get to the point where you say, I'm so sick of the darkness that I, I'm trying to move out of it and move towards something better, then God sends you a beam of light. And God says, when you move toward this beam, there's going to be more light. And hey, where I am, there is no darkness. I'm announcing my location, and I want you to, I want you to come to the light because here is... There's something different than what you're sick of and what you're trying to move away from. By the way, you've always been on the top of my task list. That's never changed. It's just it's taken this long for you to recognize that I'm here and I'm, I'm asking you to come. I'm just talking to somebody in this room who would say, you know what, Jonathan, I, um, I, just have, I, I just, it's clicking for me right now in this moment that God has been trying to send me a beam of light and I, I, I kind of get a little stubborn. Maybe somebody in my life is trying to tell me the truth about something that, that's a mess. Or, or maybe God has been trying to tell me this, that something is a mess in my life. Or maybe just consequences have been sort of showing me that. And now I'm kind of realizing that the thing that's been keeping me in the dark is my choice not to walk towards the light. Well, I'm just telling you, it's, not, it's very easy to change course. It's very easy to sit because God isn't asking you to fix the mess. God is asking you to walk toward the light. Why is Cornelius so important? Well, there's a couple reasons. One I'm not even going to get into this morning. One is that um, he was basically one of the first non-Jewish Christians that we see written about in the New Testament. I guess he was the first one. That's important. He set a precedent. It showed the Jewish people, um, the, the Jewish leaders of the early church, that God didn't show favoritism that he called anyone to walk toward the light. But that's how important Cornelius was to everybody else. I'm talking to you about why Cornelius, why what Cornelius did was important for him. Why it was important for him is because when he walked toward the light, God did everything that he could to keep showing him more. I mean, he brought him Peter for Pete's sake. Man, that was a pun. <laughs> Seriously, he got him Peter. Imagine what God would do for you. I... Um, I was finishing up an appointment recently, um, doing some coaching and uh, with a couple. And as, as a couple was leaving, um, they were saying some very kind things about our church. And um, they had mentioned the fact that obviously, you know, my, my dad has been here for um, many years. I've been here now for six years. My brother, you've seen him speaking recently. And um, this person said, well, you have a very special family. And, you know, I gave the pastoral answer, and the pastoral answer is, well, any, any glory for that goes to God, which is extremely true, by the way. But I, for some reason, God brought something to mind, and I said it to this couple. I said, you know, honestly, though, if you want to know the difference maker that seemed to start the trajectory that led to where we are today, you'd have to look at my great-grandma, my great-grandma Hoover. Um, she, she was a, a, a lady who was born into a very difficult circumstance, at a young age, her father abandoned the family, left her with her mom and siblings. Mom was not a believer. As far as we know, she never was a believer. She had a rough life even before she got married. Then she got married to a guy who was not a very good, not a very good guy in many ways, at least not until his later years. In his, early, in, in his early years, and by the way, they had nine kids, count them nine, nine kids. In his early years, he had absolutely no use for God, none whatsoever. She would get those nine kiddos dressed. She would haul them off to church. She would make sure they were in their 
kids' environments or in church, and then she would sit there by herself while so many other couples, there were ladies who sat there with her husbands, and she knew that when she got home, her husband was going to make jokes at her expense for taking the kids to church, maybe be mad at her for being gone and taking the kids to church. It's very hard. But it was something about her. She was contagious, like Cornelius. Man, somehow she just, her love of God infected other people. And not only that, but she became a blessing to pastors. Even before her husband became a believer um, in, in his middle years and later years, um, they, they owned a large property that you could hunt on, and she would invite pastors to come and eat with them and go hunting on their property. And she loved pastors. I've often thought, you know, my, my parents have told me so many times how much she would have been blessed to have, uh, to have seen um, the, the next generation after my dad because she loved pastors. Why? Because she loved the light. She loved the light. She was so committed to finding light wherever she could. Three of her sons became pastors. My grandpa was one of those. He pastored for 50 years at the same church in Fort Worth, and then he was on staff here for many years as a pastor. My dad is part of the next generation where there are a bunch of pastors. And then I'm part of the generation after that. Austin Renfro, the guy who was leading worship here earlier, he's part of the generation that I'm part of, one of the great-grandkids. Now, here's the thing. This is what my dad told me. I asked my dad to remind me some of the details about her life. And I, and I told him what the message was about. And he said, it's interesting that you're talking about this concept of light. He said, because if you look on the other side of great-grandma Hoover, there is no light. As far as we know, you can go back as far as you want to. We can't find believers before her. On this side, there's light everywhere, right? And he said, I asked her one time before she passed away. He said, I asked her, how did you come to know God? Why? Because we couldn't draw a straight line between God and Grandma, great-grandma Hoover. There was no way to figure out that path. And, we, and, and so Dad said, how did you come to know Christ? And she said, well, I was listening on the radio one night, and I heard a preacher preaching, and he said that God loved me. Here's the thing. For that girl in South Texas, it was a beam of light. Why? Because my great-grandma Hoover had, had always been on the top of his task list. And it was, yes, it, granted it wasn't a very bright beam of light. It was just a little piece of a radio broadcast, but it was, it was a beam of light. And she said, you know what? I know that if I walk toward the light, there's going to be more light. And I know that wherever the light is, the darkness that I felt my, so far in my life, wherever the light is, the darkness isn't there. And I'm going to walk towards the light. And I'm just saying, you can do the same thing. Whether you're a believer in this room and you're just frustrated because you're not growing close to God and something's blackmailing you and it's keeping you in the darkness, this is a moment of decision. You can make a choice to walk toward the light. If you're a person in this room and you've never had a relationship with God but you want to, you can walk towards the light. If you're a person in this room who just say, my life is a mess, everything that's happening around me, a lot of the mess isn't even mine, but my life is a mess and I just feel stuck, this is a moment of decision. You can follow Jesus, you can follow the light and it will change your world. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in this moment as you've, reminded us about the importance of following you, that you would open hearts in this moment, that if anyone needs to make a commitment to walk toward the light, that they would be doing that at this time. I'm going to ask that heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. If you're in this room and you'd say, you know what, Jonathan, I'm, I'm seeking out God. I don't know everything about it, 
but somehow God put me in this chair in this building today and you talked about a God who loved me and wants to have a relationship with me and a, and a savior who paid for the things I've done wrong. I want that. I want to step toward the light. I'm going to give you the words to say that to a prayer, which is just talking to the God who's seeking you out and saying, yes, I want to have that relationship. And you can say this prayer silently in your head if you would like to. And if you, and if, if you say this to God out of a heart that is wanting to walk toward the light, you will have a relationship with him. Here's that prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for reaching out to me. I know that I do wrong things. And I know that I can't get to heaven on my own. I'm walking toward the light. I'm asking for your forgiveness. And I'm asking you to make me your child. I believe you died and rose again for me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here with us. If you prayed that prayer with me, go to guest services. They have a packet they'd like to give you. Next week, we start. Move on. Take care so much.